Well, we are going to, this morning, be talking about the Feast of Dedication, or otherwise known more commonly as Hanukkah. Now, again, if you're new here, you may be saying, why are they talking about Hanukkah? I didn't think I was going to a Jewish church. Well, this isn't about being Jewish. This is about uh, what God has shown us not only through history, but also in the Bible. And we see that this is the time that Jesus was actually conceived in actual real history, not the time of Christmas, when, uh, which we'll, t- we'll talk about that as we go along. But I want you to understand Hanukkah is not one of these festivals that was commanded in the Bible or anything like that, but it is one that Jesus did celebrate. Now, it starts here on the 20th of this month. Wednesday, December 20th is the beginning of it. Now, we've already talked about other festivals that we have in the first month of the Jewish year and the seventh month of the Jewish year, which is you know our, our March, April, September, October periods. But this is now in the Jewish month of Kislev, the 25th of Kislev, that Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, is celebrated. Like I said, all the others, actually the Bible tells us we are to do forever and remember, but this one, the Bible is silent on outside of that we see Jesus celebrating it. Now, why is that? You'll understand as we go, but we do see it in John chapter 10. So if you want on your own later, you can go and look in John chapter 10, and you will see that Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication there. Now, today you might even see in Hastings, you might be surprised, well, who does Hanukkah? You might be surprised that there are people in Hastings who celebrate Hanukkah. Matter of fact, if you will drive around sometime around this season, uh, starting the 20th, I'll bet that you will be able to find some menorahs in the windows of people's houses. Oftentimes, that's an indication that they are celebrating Hanukkah. Not necessarily that they're Jews, because there are Christians who celebrate Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication as well. But you will see these menorahs in their windows. Other traditions that they do today is they will uh, cook with a lot of oil. So if you're going to celebrate Hanukkah, this is a good thing, because it is a festival of the miracle of oil, which you'll see. And so anything that's oil, donuts, and uh, I'm going for buffalo wings this year, uh, whatever you want. It's, it's a festival to time to, to eat a lot of oil things. Uh, they eat potato latkes, they're called. They also play a game with the dreidel, which is a little top-type spinner that has different Hebrew letters on them. Depending on which letter falls, depends on how much you get of the candy or whatever that's in the pot in this dreidel game. So kids love to play the dreidel game. Those are some of the traditions that go on today. Why do we have it today? How do we even know about it if the Bible is silent on it? Well, it comes from the period of the Maccabees, second, first and second Maccabees, which is actually written around the time of the period of silence that we have in Scripture, which is from the time that Jesus born all the way back to the Babylonian captivity when the Jews return, you know, Nehemiah, Ezra time, all the way to Jesus. There's about a 400-year period there of silence in the Bible. There's no prophets that we have written down. There's nothing that we know of outside of from history. And so there's the book of First and Second Maccabees, which is technically the Apocrypha books. We don't accept those as the canonized book of Scripture. We don't believe that they are inspired by God. But we do accept them as history. And it's from these books that we see historically why the celebration or the, the holiday of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication is celebrated. God really wasn't silent during these periods. He was clearly, as we see through history, active, especially in taking care of of the Jews, 
watching over them, protecting them, and fulfilling his promises, and holding true to his covenant. So he wasn't silent. It's just that we don't have anything written in the Bible. That's why they're called the silent years. Well, what happens is this. At first, when the Jews are taken captive in Babylon, they're there for 70 years. The Bible does record these events. Then the Medes and the Persians, they came in and they conquered Babylon, and Cyrus and them allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding their temple. It's not long after that, though, that the Greeks come in. Now, all of this is prophesied in Daniel, that the Babylonians would come, that the Medes and Persians would come, that the Greeks would come, that the Romans would come. But when the Greeks come, they're headed up by Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, he conquers the Medes and the Persians, and he treats the Jews very well. As a matter of fact, Alexander the Great even had the Jews make sacrifices on his behalf for him. He would cancel taxes on the sabbatical years so that he would be blessing the Jews on those sabbatical years. Alexander the Great actually treated them quite well. The problem was Alexander the Great did not live very long. And he died at a young age. And when he did, as the book of Daniel prophesies, and we'll look at this coming up, his kingdom was divided into four different smaller parcels. Jerusalem was in one of those parcels, and it became under the control of the Seleucids, otherwise known as, ruled by Antiochus IV. Now, Antiochus IV was a wicked man, but at first he didn't treat the Jews too poorly, but he wanted to Hellenize them. Now, what does Hellenization mean? It means that the Greeks wanted to have the other cultures take upon the Greek culture. And so there was a Jewish man named Joshua who compromised at this time, and he took upon the Greek name Jason. He offered a bribe to Antiochus to be the high priest. Well, Antiochus didn't care about the rules of the priesthood having to be Levitical and whatnot that God had commanded. And so he said, sure, you can be priest, I'll take your money. So Jason became the high priest for a while, but it wasn't long under this system. A new guy came in with a little bit more money, and he offered Antiochus a larger bribe. Well, Antiochus took that bribe, Jason was out. Well, Jason didn't take too kindly to that. So Jason went and got a small army together, came back and attacked the army there. Well, Antiochus took this as a threat against the throne, which it was. And he came back to Jerusalem and he killed tens of thousands of Jews at this time. And from this point on, he really began to be anti-Semitic. In, in, in some tremendous ways, as you will see. In 1 John chapter 10, as I said, this is where we see that Jesus celebrates this feast. It says, Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, the time that we're in right now, and Yeshua was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, when Jesus was there walking in the colonnade, he's going to give some messages, some sermons here in John chapter 10. We'll take a little look at that later, but right now I just want you to see that when we see the word Feast of Dedication in the Bible, this is what he's talking about. And understanding that is going to help you understand what Jesus was saying in John 10, in 1 John 10, or John chapter 10. Um, Why should we as Christians even care about Hanukkah? Well, first of all, as I said, Jesus celebrated it, so that ought to give us at least something to think about. But second of all, I think the the biggest reasons why we ought to do this is that it was prophesied. This event is biblical. 
Hanukkah is biblical, even though God didn't command to do it. Daniel prophesied that these events would take place. And what the events that take place or took place back then foreshadow something that's going to take place in our future as well. And we will make that very clear as we go along. But what Antiochus did when Jason rebelled, he came back. And after he killed tens of thousands of people, he began to desecrate the temple. He even offered a pig as a sacrifice on the temple of God. He tore down other altars, and he erected altars for Zeus, the sun god, okay, the, the Greek sun god. He also um, would basically forbid the Jews to circumcise their children. He forbid them to keep the Sabbath. He forbid them to honor any of the festivals. As a matter of fact, he demanded people worship him and bow down before him. And if they were caught doing any of these things that were Jewish or not bowing down to him, it was the death penalty. And so he began to persecute in great ways. And this was a problem for many Jews there because they had to make a decision. Do I listen to this guy who's telling me to not do things that are in the Bible? Or do I save, you know, die, basically? Do I try to save my family? What do I do? Daniel chapter 11, verses 3 through 4 up here, we see the prophecies of Alexander the Great. It says, Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. This was Alexander the Great. We know this historically. Every theologian would agree with this. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds. Remember I said when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided into four? That's what was prophesied. It says it will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, as we see historically happened, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Just a few verses later, we see in verses 21 through 28, it talks about this despicable person. This is Antiochus IV. This despicable person, his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. Basically against God's word, against God's promises. And historically speaking, we see that that's exactly what Antiochus did. Now, what I want you to understand is, Daniel was foreshadowing and, and, and telling us that this was going to happen. But there is a dual prophecy, a dual fulfillment to this. Something that hasn't yet happened, Daniel is also referring to here. In verse 31, just three verses later, it says, His forces will desecrate the sanctuary. Remember, he, he destroyed it. He sacrificed the pig on the altar. He'll do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. When this was going down in the, in the book of Maccabees, they knew this is what Daniel was talking about. But they also know that Daniel was referring to something greater to come as well. Many of you probably know what that is. We'll talk about it coming up. Just five verses later in verse 36, it says, Then the king shall do according to his own will, and he shall exalt and magnify himself above all gods and speak blasphemies. Antiochus IV actually renamed himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He was claiming himself to be God. Now, this should sound familiar, even though many of you probably aren't familiar with the story of Hanukkah. 
it sounds familiar because there's somebody in the future that's supposed to do these very same things. You see, the Jews see history as cyclical. And prophecies aren't just a one-time deal, but that they keep fulfilling themselves up to a greater end. And so what we're celebrating when we celebrate Hanukkah isn't just some Jewish thing. We're remembering God's promises. We're remembering God's deliverances. And we're teaching our children. When we do it in our home, I'm teaching my children, you need to watch for an Antiochus Epiphanes because there's another one coming someday. And we tell our children that. Now, that's not all, but that's a part of it. You see, Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to Hellenize everybody. And as I said, that was to put upon the Greek culture. Because if you could get you know, all these other countries that they were conquering to take upon Greek culture, it's easier to control them. And so as a result, there were a lot of social and political issues that were going on that were affecting the Jews. And they had to make this decision... Do I become Hellenized to protect myself or do I remain faithful to God's word? And that is where the problem is. In Daniel verse 32 of chapter 11, just one verse later, it says this, By smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. In other words, he was going to take people who were Jews or Christians, you might say, and he was going to turn them away by smooth words to act wickedly towards that covenant. People like Joshua who would compromise and take the name Jason, who were willing to sell out for their own protection, for money, for power, but abandon the covenant and the promises that God made. And it goes on and it says, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And right in here is where we get the story of Hanukkah. Because there were men and women who decided to stand firm on the word of God and say, I will not compromise. I will not be Hellenized. One of those people was a guy named Mattathias. In 167 B.C., this is when it all really started to happen where it really got bad. The, the, the army, the Syrian army came in and they, they, they took the, the city of Modin and they started to Hellenize it. They tore down the altars, uh, an altar of God and, and they also then basically uh, built a, an altar for Zeus just like they were doing all over the place, building altars for Zeus. Well, Mattathias was a godly man who was not going to compromise and he went and he destroyed that altar for Zeus. As he did this, yelled out a cry. He said this, Whoever is for the Lord, follow me. Follow me, whoever is for the Lord. And this started a rebellion, and literally thousands of people followed him. And they went, and they actually conquered the army that was there. And then they knew they were in trouble, because this is just a small group of uh, of men. And they ran to the mountains. They fled to the mountains. But when they fled to the mountains and caves, obviously... The army followed them, and there was over a 1,000 men killed. But there were still many that survived. And their slogan became this here. Who among the mighty is like thee, O God? You see, this tells us that the very slogan of Hanukkah isn't about man, it's about God. They realized it wasn't their power because these guys were farmers with you know pitchforks and axes and stuff like that. They weren't soldiers. 
But yet they were able to defeat these armies. And for years later, what they were doing is these, they'd go and attack these small little armies, and eventually they win the battle. Eventually, they will come in and take the temple back to rededicate it. The reason we get the word Maccabees from First and Second Maccabees is because of this slogan, Who among the mighty is like thee, O God? In Hebrew, it's Mi Chomchach Ba'alim Adonai. If you take the very first letter of each one of them, you get this Maccaba, M-K-B-A. And that's where we get the word Maccabees from, Judah the Maccabean. Okay? Mattathias' oldest son was named Judah. And Judah was a mighty warrior. He became known as Judah the Hammer because he's fought so valiantly for God. How long did this last? In Daniel 8, we see how long will it be until the daily sacrifice is restored again? How long until the desecration of the temple is avenged and God's people triumph? He replied, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. Many of you are familiar with this verse because you're thinking about the Antichrist and future events. Yes, it is foreshadowing future events. The temple will be rebuilt. It will be desecrated. But do you know that from the time that the persecution of Antiochus began to the time the temple was restored on Kislev 25 was 2,300 evenings and mornings? And so the Jews see this verse as something that has happened in the past during the time of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication. This date was prophesied. So why eight days of Hanukkah? Well, there are eight days because when the Maccabeans came and they took the temple back, they needed to cleanse it. They needed to make it holy. They needed to purify it. And they found some oil. Because of all the battle, most of it had been destroyed, they found one jar of oil, enough to burn for one day. But yet that oil miraculously burned for eight days until more oil from another city could be brought. And so this is called the miracle of Hanukkah, and this is why you get to eat oily foods, because it was the miracle of the producing of oil. God was faithful to his promises. Now, because of this great deliverance and these miracles, when the Jews celebrate Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication, as they were doing in John chapter 10, they had a mindset. What are they celebrating? We are celebrating deliverance. We are celebrating the miracles of God, the works of God, His power. Okay? That's what, and we are celebrating not being Hellenized. We're celebrating standing on the Word of God, not compromising. That's the attitude that they had. Now, understanding that is going to help you to understand why Jesus says what He does when He comes in John chapter 10. Verses 27 through 28, He says... My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You see, it's not an accident that Jesus is preaching this message at the Feast of Dedication. He says, my sheep follow me. Whoever is for the Lord, follow me, Mattathias said. And this is what God is telling us today. Who is ever for the Lord, follow God. His word tells us what he wants us to do. We don't get it from our culture. We don't get it. And by the way, you've been Hellenized. And many Christians today get their beliefs about the Bible by, from a Greek Hellenized culture. 
We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. In verses 37 through 38, he says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works. In other words, Jesus was saying this, If you don't think I'm coming from the Father, at least believe the miracles. Because the miracles are showing that I come from the Father. The miracles show that I'm God. And these people were thinking about miracles at the time. Because this is the Feast of Dedication. And so it helps us to understand why Jesus is saying these things at this time. But again, I believe that there are some future applications for us. As I said, when we do this at our home, it is very Christ-centered. And we do this in place of Christmas. Now that might shock some of you. Oh, (laughs) they don't do Christmas? (coughs) No. We do, but we do it in October. We celebrate the birth of Jesus when he was really born. Now, I'm not saying you can't do Christmas. I'm not saying you're wrong in doing Christmas. Fine. There's nothing sinful about celebrating Jesus' birth. But my family has chosen to do what the Bible has outlined rather than our culture. I don't look down on people because they do Christmas or have Christmas trees. But I'll tell you this, you can't show me in the Bible Christmas. And the reason you can't is because it's a pagan holiday. We've talked about that before. You see, there's a reason Christmas is done on December 25th. Because December 25th was when the sun god, Ra, in Egypt was worshipped. It's when Zeus was worshipped. It's when Mithras, the sun god, was worshipped. It's the birthday of the sun god, and you see, that's when the days start getting longer. And so when Constantine in 325 A.D., took power, he wanted to unite the pagans and the Christians, and he tried to mix everybody together to unite the kingdom, ultimately. And he said, no more of these Jewish things, no more Sabbath, we're now going to worship on Sunday, no more of this uh, Hanukkah, no more of this uh, circumcision, no more of the tabernacles or any other Jewish festival, we're going to do Christmas. And we're going to do Easter instead, which, by the way, Easter is the name of a pagan god. And so... He replaced these things. And ever since then, do you know that you, because of your culture, have been doing Christmas and Easter and celebrating Jesus' birth when he never was born? Instead, he was born in September or October. And you won't find a theologian that will disagree with me that he was not born at this time. Again, I'm not saying you can't do your Christmas. I'm just saying, why do we do the things we do? Is it because you've been Hellenized? We have to ask those questions. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 5, this is the other thing that I want my kids to remember. As we do the the festival of Hanukkah, I want, A, my kids to remember, listen, we are to be separate and we're not to be compromising. We're not to be Hellenized. And maybe our culture is telling us we should do this or shouldn't do that, but we get our truth from the Word of God. Two, I want them to be Since the Word of God tells us that there is an Antichrist coming, as we see in the New Testament, we better watch for it. And it seems that it's going to be an Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a model showing you what's going to happen again in the future, just with a little different face to it. He says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, isn't that interesting? Antiochus Epiphanes spoke against the law of God. He was a man of lawlessness. 
He set himself up above God, called himself God. He desecrated the temple. He did everything that the Bible is telling us the Antichrist is supposed to do. Many are going to turn away from God. The Bible says that before the Lord comes back, there will be a great apostasy in the church. Many are going to turn away. I bet they'll have a, an appearance of Christianity, though. The church will look like it's godly, but they won't be standing on the word of God. You see, Jason, Joshua who turned Jason, looked godly. He was a high priest. But he had abandoned the word of God. He wasn't obeying the word of God. The son of perdition exalts himself above God as Antiochus Epiphanes did. Do not take me wrong. I'm not saying Obama is the Antichrist, but... I see that as a foreshadowing of the type of thing that we're going to see. When we see people calling him a Messiah, when, and somebody not saying, hey, I'm not the Messiah, don't, don't say that. That's the kind of thing that we're going to see. Just in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians, the Lord will destroy him by the brightness of his coming. You see, it's by God's power that he will destroy this Antichrist that is to come upon this world. Not by our power, not by might, but by the Spirit of God. That is what's going to take it. And you see, when we have Hanukkah, there's eight days and we light a candle every day. And our children memorize verses every day of the Bible. So on day one, when we light that candle, the first candle... There's a Bible memory verse that they will be saying that will talk about God being the light of the world. And he is going to be that light that destroys the Antichrist when he comes. On day two, they will now have two memory verses to memorize. On day three, they've got three. On day four, they've got four. And so we memorize scripture throughout these eight days of Hanukkah. All dealing with God being the light of the world and those types of things. And as far as the Hellenization of us today. As I said, the Bible tells us we are to be separate. Second Corinthians says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Your body, you are the temple. God lives in you. You are now the temple. He says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, among them, and be you separate. What agreement has a temple of God with idols? Guys, if you are the temple, then you cannot be compromising with the world. What agreement does God's word have with the world? You are not of this world. And that's what it means to be separate. You are to look different than the rest of the world. You're not to blend in with the culture and be Hellenized like I see most churches have become. We have become Hellenized. And to me, this is one of the greatest messages of application for this uh, you know, uh, festival. Is to teach my children, listen, we are going to look separate. And you know what? People will probably make fun of us because we do Hanukkah and we're not Jews. People are going to say, why do they do that? That's so stupid. But it's okay because I am going to stand on the word of God and it's biblical. That's why we do it. As I said, 
Antiochus made them speak Greek and set up all these altars to Zeus and whatnot. I see that going on in our churches today. Okay, there are altars to all different other kinds of gods. Maybe it's the god of money. Maybe it's the god of show. Maybe it's maybe it's a, a god of a pastor that we worship rather than the word of God. They couldn't honor the Sabbath anymore. They couldn't honor the festivals anymore. How many of you guys are really honoring the Sabbath and keeping the festivals anymore? Have we been Hellenized? Do we? I mean, keep in mind, guys, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Do any of you do that anymore? Do you know in our culture even, it used to be that you couldn't even go shopping on Saturday or on Sunday. They had the blue laws, they were called. I don't know if there were blue laws all over the country, but where I grew up, that's what they were called. Yeah. But have we bought into this culture? Have we been Hellenized? The dedication of the temple is, again, the big highlight of this is the temple was rededicated. It was purified. You are now that temple. And you, this is a season for us to be rededicating the temple to God, to be purifying it, to cleanse it. That is the, the reason for the season, you might say. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. You see, that's what I want my children to do during this season, is I want them to think to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to be serving others, to be thinking of others rather than ourselves, to be glorifying and honoring God in what we do for others and not thinking about me, me, me all the time. In a, you know, in our culture, I mean, if we're really honest, those of you who are continuing to do Christmas, do you think your kids are really focused on Jesus during this period? I mean, if, if we'll be honest, some of you might be able to say yes, and that, that's great. But I know that personally, for our family, we have found that this season has become so much more Christ-centered than Christmas ever was. If you've been able to keep it that way with Christmas, wonderful. Like I said, I don't think it's sinful. But I want to warn you about the Hellenization. Trusting God, not by our strength, but by God. They knew it was God's power that did this. And likewise, you won't be able to do these things. You know, the Christmas and the Easter, it, it, it takes a lot of gumption to, to go against. I'll tell you what, I know from experience when I talk about Christmas and Easter like I'm doing right now, it upsets people. And all I can ask is, why? Do we hold so firmly to our traditions that we can't have an open mind about the Word of God that does talk about all the festivals and all these other things? We have to just trust God, not man. It's His strength. It's His power. And I guarantee you, you'll be blessed by just even searching this stuff out. E up here, or I should say F. Remember when they uh, were attacked, the Maccabeans fled to the mountains, didn't they? Even that, I think, is very prophetic. Matthew 24 warns us about this future event when the Antichrist is going to come. 
When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down, and it goes on and on. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. I also don't want to freak my kids out, but I want them to understand. Guys, we can't keep living in this bubble of everything's going to be okay. Well, it is in the sense of God protecting us. But there is a time coming upon this world that is going to be worse than ever before. Worse than the Holocaust. Worse than World War I. Worse than World War II. Worse than the Maccabean Revolt when Antiochus came. It's coming. And if we aren't prepared by the Word of God and the Spirit of God living in us, I fear that people will not survive. They will not be able to stand firm on the Word of God. They're going to be changing their name to Jason. If we don't prepare and and realize that this is truth, we'll ignore it until one day it'll just come upon us. You know, Jesus warns us about that in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the Son of Man comes. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting, and being given in marriage and marrying right up until the day that fire and brimstone came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. The rain came down to flood the earth. People were so busy that they didn't have time for God because they weren't thinking about God. And so I want my children to know that and to be prepared for that coming. One more final reason to celebrate this, as I said, is Jesus wasn't born at this season, but he was conceived at this time. We know that it was around this time that Jesus was conceived because the Bible tells us that God came to Zechariah in the temple during Savan 12 through 18. Now, we know this because in Luke chapter 1 through 5, it tells us there was a priest named Zechariah who was in the division of Abijah. You go to First Chronicles, and it lists these different divisions, and that there was a different priestly division for every month of the year. The line of Abijah served during the month of Sivan. Now, we have extra-biblical support of this. You go to the Jewish records, like the Talmud and others. The Jewish records tell us the exact day Zechariah was ministering in the temple. Sivan 12 through 18. Now, you recall that the angel basically told... Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. Well, Elizabeth was. And you're going to name him John. So that means the gestational period, 40 weeks later, John the Baptist was born. What's 40 weeks from this time period? Passover. John the Baptist was also born at Passover. But we also know biblically, the Bible tells us Jesus was six months younger, or, or yeah, younger than John the Baptist. So you go six months beyond that, what do we have? The Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I can't tell you he was born on the very day. In my heart, I believe it. he probably was. I don't know. But I can guarantee you, biblically, that Jesus was born around the time of the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, which is what John tells us. Okay? In the, uh, the, the Word of God became flesh and 
tabernacled among us, it literally says. Jesus tabernacled with us because he was born on the Feast of Tabernacles around that time. Nine months prior to the Feast of Tabernacles is Kislev 25, or the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Hanukkah. So this would have been the time when Mary became with child. And so that's another reason that we can celebrate the light coming into the world. The light of Jesus, the festival of lights, this is sometimes called, is when the light literally came into the world. And you know what? Especially all our pro-lifers out here like I am, you know what? We celebrate birth not after the baby's born. We celebrate it when the baby is in the womb because that child is a child already. And so we can celebrate the birth of Jesus at this period because the light is coming into the world. Well, I'm going to close with this here just to show you a little bit of Hellenization, how it's crept into the church. If I would just show you this picture, who would you think that is? It's hard to see, but you can kind of see up here there's a little baby with a sunburst above its head. You know who this is? It's not baby Jesus, although many Christians would probably say that that was baby Jesus. It's actually baby Tammuz. Tammuz was, is mentioned in the scriptures, by the way, as a pagan god. And I'm not going to get into the storyline, but basically the sun god, in a sense, uh, Tammuz uh, uh, was killed by a wild boar. The sun's raised impregnated Samaranus, that kind of thing. So they're pagan gods. Look at this one. You might recognize this. Uh, look who this is, St. Peter. You know what happened? The Roman pantheon was built by Emperor Hadrian about 100 A.D., and uh, there are all kinds of different gods in it. But in 609, Emperor Phocas seized Rome, and he, came, he, he gave the pantheon to Pope Boniface IV. So Pope Boniface IV took Jupiter, which is basically seen here, which he's got his hands up and a disc above his head. He took it out of the pantheon, and he put it in the Vatican and named it St. Peter. Look at this, disc above the head. This is from India. This is not a Christian symbol, folks. This, but every time we see a halo around somebody's head, we think it's Christianity. It's not. Here's Krishna in China. This is a pagan thing that has crept into the church. We really got it from Catholicism then. Here's Japan, this disc above the head. Over and over, this is the kind of thing. This is the sun god Mithras. Kind of, You can't really see it on this one, but a disc above the head from a fresco there. Here's Easter. This is the goddess of Easter. So when you say happy Easter, you just got to put a happy smile on her face. Easter was a fertility god. She's mentioned in the Bible as Astarte. The Asherah poles were to worship Easter. Here's Samaranus and Osiris. Uh, Samaranus and baby Tammuz. And then in Egypt, they've got their, uh, basically the sun and the sun god type thing. A baby and a mother. If I showed people this, a little disc above the head, a mother holding a baby, they'd say, oh, that must be Christian. No, this is as pagan as paganism comes. All of this comes from paganism. And all of these are centuries before Jesus was even born. Have we been Hellenized? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And so I'm going to leave you with that question to ask yourself. How have we been Hellenized? Are we standing firm on the word of God? Are we teaching our children?
the true reason of the season? Whether you do Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever you do? Because Jesus is the reason. But our culture has a way of kind of getting our eyes off of that. If this is something you're interested in doing, we do have a book uh, that I brought called The Family Guide to the Biblical Holidays. If you guys would like to start Hanukkah this year, it starts the 20th. Um, we've got a book that tells you exactly what to do and what you can uh, do. Is just uh, You can just see me afterwards, and I'll, I'll, I just brought a few of them in here. But here's Dagon, the priest god. Notice his hat. Show you a few different ones. Here in the Vatican, he's kind of got that hat. He's holding the world in his hand as well. This is from Dagon, the fish god, which, by the way, is also talked about in the Bible. Dagon is. The Philistines worship Dagon. That's why he's got these little fishy legs and a little fishy hat. Here's another picture of Dagon. Notice that hat again. Here's what I find interesting. Look at this hat. There's Dagon, the fish god. How about this one here? Isn't that interesting? Where do they get this stuff? I mean, have you ever asked these high church things, where did these symbols come from? And we could go on and on. But for now... I'm going to leave you again with that question. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And I just pray that not by our strength, but by your spirit, Lord, that you would continue to keep us firmly standing on the word of God and not compromise, not to be Hellenized, but to trust your word over culture, over man, over anything else, over our own desires. In Jesus' name.